Welcome to the Digital Transformer Podcast, your number one podcast on digital innovation, transformation, and venture building. We help entrepreneurs and corporate innovation leaders like you gain the knowledge and skills you need to build the leading digital businesses of your industry. My name is Kilian Karasch, and today I talk to Johannes Reichert, Head of Global IT and Chief Information Officer at Healthy Group. During his career, Johannes drove the global IT agile transformation and large-scale IT project, introducing not only an innovative CRM system and top-notch ERP functionalities, but also developing microservice-based infrastructures to enable digital products in one of the least digitized industries in the world. In our podcast recording, we talk about his core learnings on launching microservices at startup speed in the corporate IT department, best practices on how to transition a multinational company step-by-step into an agile way of working, how to evaluate the degree of agility needed in large-scale IT projects, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, please share it. Awesome to have you, Johannes. What is one thing that I would not expect about you? One thing you would not expect about me? I'm actually... um... I'm not an IT guy. Wow. Which is curious because we're going to talk about IT transformations. And so you basically work your way into the field. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) Now, the construction industry is one of the least digitized industries in the world. And yet at Hilti, you managed to rapidly build up a range of digital products. How did you manage that? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I think we, we have a lot of capabilities in the company that allows us to observe what the customer needs and determines what would make him more productive, more efficient, and by that save money for himself. And that obviously also includes more and more digital solutions. I think it's this observing power and then also bringing it into product, market it, bring it out, combine it with, with great digital solutions. That's a, that's a strength uh, that allows us to, to serve the customers better. And you said that to get there, you at the very beginning had to, so to, spe- uh, so to speak, build a startup in the IT department, which led to the foundation for IoT services, cloud services, and so on and so forth. So these microservices that you build up kind of did that in a very particular way. How did you do that? And it's a very good question. I, I think we need to clarify something, right? I'm, I'm responsible for uh, global IT. So the classical corporate uh, IT department, which you normally would associate with uh, stuff like big SAP systems, big HR systems. The, the department that is probably not the most liked one in companies, right, usually. And it's not the natural home where you would say, hey, this is where super innovation happens and and new things can actually flourish and and grow or where innovative ideas can be be pursued. And the normal answer is then usually in companies, yeah, we need to create a separate unit or we we do that somewhere else and and ideally not close to to the IT teams. I mean, we have seen or I've seen in my own career at Hilti that this is not necessarily uh, the only answer to that challenge right? Of, of getting started. It's also a big advantage if you manage inside such a team that has a lot of uh, great people, a lot of know-how, 
a lot of understanding of what to do to scale, to make stuff robust, which you eventually need, right? You want to bring out digital projects that serve customers around the world. You want to have an back end system that is able to cope with that and not just an MVP at the end. Uh, the MVP is an important step, but at the end, we want to make money with it and it needs to scale. So the scaling factor is something that corporate IT departments usually know how to do because, I mean, that's their business, right? And um, so it has a huge advantage if you do that actually within those teams, but you need to obviously create also certain boundary conditions within those teams so that they can also maneuver and operate. Uh, and I mean, we have we have great examples when we when we had our first software strategy, which I was uh, lucky to participate in as well. Uh, we decided at the end that we we need microservices, or we need actually an extraction layer to expose also our big ERP system to customer-facing applications, to allow actually for easier order entry, to create Hilti ID, so the typical thing you would know also from Google or or Apple. Uh, regarding that you have one ID where you can consume all the services uh, from that particular company. And we we didn't have that. Uh, we we needed to build this. And and in global IT, I was I was really lucky that I got that job actually to build Hilti Cloud in, in the first version of it. And we were the first ones in our industry who tried to do microservices and stuff like this. And, and there was, beside Netflix, not many people around that really were able to do that in 2015, 16. And it was a challenging time, but we had these ingredients, right? We, we had this, this startup ingredients that you also see. Right? We had a great team, very interdisciplinary with a lot of know-how and also willingness to go the extra mile. We had the product vision where we said, this is what we want to achieve. This is what we need in order to make the strategy work. We also had the challenging timeline. Huh? So it was not just, let's, let's see if it works, but we actually had deadlines in terms of by then we need this in order, for example, to fulfill other product launches in the company. So very important. We applied without actually knowing it, without really, let's say, doing here um, an active research and then applying that, but we applied agile components, huh? the rituals, the dailies, the weeklies, the backlog, uh, the backlog grooming, stuff like this, we we did. Uh, we did it because we we saw that if you develop such kind of products, it helps you to find the way uh, and overcome challenges. And we had from the day one also, because we had this interdisciplinary team and also the freedom, I have to say also really the freedom in the team supported actually by the leadership team back then, we could try things out that were not so known in corporate IT at that point in time. For example, continuous development and delivery capabilities, which in the classical SAP environment you don't have. But in software development, it's something that uh, is the only way to go these days. Yeah? So um, I think it is really... It's, it, you don't necessarily need a separate unit, but you need to create that space inside your teams and you need to make sure that they get the, the backing and support. And the big advantage of putting them, us, yeah, I talk now about the team, into global IT and having that inside global IT, we also had the backup and the, and the support from the other teams to actually build and services, interface with the core SAP systems, make things work, understand the data models, making sure that the stuff is really scalable at the end. And I think that it's a, it's a big achievement. Were you just lucky that all the components you just mentioned were somewhat in place? Or 
was there something that you had to let's say tweak so that it matched the new let's say pre-agile or agile mindset i mean let's let's take that in two parts right so technology there was nothing so we had to build it all um, we had to identify the right ways we had also to find the right partners to do that with also not so easy at that point in time so I um I think that was that's the first piece, right? So having actually a relatively green field, but with a lot of things surrounding it, where we said we need to interface with. But this particular spot was white. We didn't have anything. We didn't have microservices. We didn't have an Hilti ID central system uh, that didn't exist for customer facing facing IDs, and with all the processes around that changing ID and so on. On the mindset piece, I think that. The, the mindset, the agile mindset, uh, if you if you go back to the to the core of, of agile and you read the manifesto, you will realize that probably for for decades, uh, a great IT projects that were very successful already applied a lot of that mindset or companies also applied a lot of those mindsets, perhaps not under that label, but actually in the spirit. Uh, and so I don't think that we had to reinvent too much of that. We just we just used it actually. What was there already in our teams, which were also successful at that point in time. We already had a global ERP system. We had many good things that were working very nicely, um, applying actually in projects already this kind of mindset. So we we just used it. Uh, we actually we um, we brought it to light basically in the people and brought it together in this uh, particular new field. Uh, now, let me understand a bit the background of that. So you just went ahead and said from one day to the other, we we need this kind of system. We sit together, we analyze the resources, or was it more like a, let's say, also iterative process where you said we might need this, we might need this, and then over time, you just step-by-step step build it? It was both. To be very honest, uh, I mean, we're still part of a, a global company and you build such things on on strategy um, you make your mind up we we had uh, already uh, team members here architects and and senior leaders looking into it what would it take uh, conceptually what could be good options to do that we had even university uh, colleagues supporting us methodically with, with methods and and thought process at the very beginning conceptualizing high level um, how this should look like so kind of creating the the initial map uh, but when we then got to the point where we said okay now we have the money we have the team let's go i mean we also realized that many of these things in reality required adjustment so that's why i said we without actually really knowing it but doing it we applied agile principles in terms of sprints in terms of validating in terms of seeing what works what doesn't work and then turning around pivoting and saying hey actually this will not work uh, because the technology is not ready or we are not ready or some, this is actually not what the customer will really need in the end and then going from there step by step forward and what were the core learnings for you in this period good <laughs> for for me personally i think that this can work so this form of working with product owners or if back then we didn't call them product owners, but people that actually own the life cycle of such a service, such a, such a component in the landscape with continuous delivery, that this whole setup can actually work and is sustainable. 
and is also fun. Huh? I mean, the people were very positive about it. The, the team spirit was good. And we made quick progress with, I think, to, to the surprise of, of many, actually also long-lasting impact. I mean, we started that, as I said, 2015. We are now in, in 2022. And the Hilti Cloud is still there. It's still running. Obviously, it doesn't look the same as it looked back then. And it also continuously requires actually rework. Yeah? That's clear, but it's there. So it's a long-lasting thing that was really formed out of this uh, initial small Scrum team. And you basically, in the beginning, said we did so with, let's say, not quite a dedicated digital unit, which these days a lot of companies have. Now, what I would like to understand is what is the benefit or in which context it is which setup right? Digital unit versus corporate IT. Mm. I um, I mean, we had back then, by the way, also a digital unit that was responsible for Hilti Online uh, mainly, um, which uh, they, they took over from us a couple of years earlier. So we had them. They were one of our largest customers, actually, to take the Hilti ID from us. So the company also had that. We still today have a team that also runs uh, marketing and sales components, but we changed here the setup also how we run that much closer to these days, also together with, with Global IT than back then. I think that highly depends on the company's state uh, where they are in and also how they see digitalization happen. Out of my experience, as I said, you want not just a digital MVP, uh, a gimmick, an app that somehow is there and, and is, is this... This, uh, this one day fly, as you would say in Germany, right? But that doesn't scale. At the end, what you'd want to do in digital transformation is bring digital products that actually really create value for the customer and for the company and for all the stakeholders actually involved, including team members, including uh, society and so on. And I mean, that you don't do with a one day fly app. Uh, and in order to achieve that, you need not only one unit, because a company like ours, a global company with uh, 30,000 plus team members, I mean, you want to scale, right? And you can't do that with a team of, of 50, 100 or 150 just digital people. That will not work. So the, the, um, the setup, ensuring that actually all units in the company become digital, use that, leverage that, this is the bigger hurdle. And I don't think that digital units necessarily are the, the recipe the only recipe that makes that work. They can be, a, um, um, let's say, a catalyst, right, to get that started. But you need to find also the point in time where you actually involve everybody else and and really make them also work. We, we have seen that cross-functional teams that come together without, without leaving their functional homes, right? So an IT guy is still in the IT team also for personal development, for growth, for, for learning experiences comes together in a cross-functional team that takes care of a particular product with a business colleague. These, these setups are actually more powerful because they bring end-to-end -end ownership. They bring the different process know-how together. I think that is the, the better setup at the end of the day than having actually really dedicated units where you, where you put everybody in, but then they are again, they are again in silo, right? And digitalization, shouldn't or is not successful from my perspective if it's a silo activity mm. so it has to be lifted by everyone in the company everyone has to adjust that mindset now 
talking about large scale, talking about mindsets, what you said launching microservices was, so to speak, the first step towards Agile. After that, you then initiated and drove a company-wide or a, a global IT-wide reorganization and agile transformation. Yeah. What were your yeah, core yeah. learnings in that process? So we started that in 2019. We had, in parallel to that, um, already realized that we needed to change the, the setup of global IT also being more function-oriented uh, and less technology-oriented in our organizational structure, right? So we created teams that took care of a particular topic end-to-end -end over the entire technology stack from a business perspective. So for example, if you have a question on pricing, you have one person that takes care of pricing, but through all the systems yeah, and, and not that the business counterparts basically need to go through all the different systems and somehow needs to be orchestrated. But today, if someone... Today, we call that uh, product owner, right? The product owner who owns the entire pricing IT solutions that you that you need as a company. And we, we did this uh, transformation with verticals and horizontals in 2019. And in, in this spirit, we also said, hmm, if we do this, see in, in many areas the opportunities actually to drive uh, transformation, to actually bring this agile way of working into the teams. We got external help. Um, which I think is really important to get also somebody who has seen such transformations and who is able to help you to also do the change management, drive it bottom up and top down. Uh -huh. And I think for Agile, that is really important because the biggest problem actually is this management in Agile, right? Because, I mean, the question is if you have teams that are self-empowered, the immediate reaction usually is that, what do I do as a manager then? Uh, right. <laughs> and I think that uh, that needs to be answered. That needs to be understood also. What is the new role and, and why are you there? No, the good the, the, the servant leader as such, no, is, uh, that is a change uh, for actually people that spent their entire life in, in IT and, and were managing stuff, uh, large teams and had huge responsibilities. You can ask now, do, do you need them? Do you not need them? How do you work with them? But you need to answer that. So we had these externals that helped us actually in defining that, how we do that, that helped us to build a toolbox. And we realized very quickly, because we did pilots, we said, okay, we, we want to know how to do this. We, we had this experience out of the microservice development, but we wanted to see how it works uh, across the team. And we defined actually out of different realities. So out of logistics, for example, logistics IT, out of the infrastructure team, the, the basis network uh, the team, for example, or a data center team, out of, of different areas, we defined pilot teams that said we applied it. And the the trick was at the end of the day that we did not apply for the entire team exactly the same methods but we created a toolbox that based on the type of project you are in or the type of work you are doing you select basically the tools you apply there were only a couple of things that we said this is standard you need to do that huh? so that certain certain common languages for example understood we created an internal conference page where this was all described we encouraged we trained the people i mean we did the training with every team member in in global it half a day as part of our culture journey exercises back then where they could experience that to fuel a bit the interest huh? 
Then we did targeted training for scrum masters or interested project managers to get that started. We trained the pilot groups, obviously, in much depth, more depth, deeper training. And then we continuously applied it. And we created a community that keeps the standard up and running, that keeps the, the, the toolbox up to date. And today we encourage all new projects in the beginning to come together, look at the so-called Stacy metrics, where you identify basically what's the topic you are looking at, how solid are you in technology understanding for the problem you are solving, how clear are the business requirements, and, and then choose actually the, the right setup. And uh, we encourage all the teams to actually look at that at the beginning and define what do they want to use? How do they want to use the toolbox? And over time, with applying retros, with applying the agile rituals, actually continuously improve that. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest trick. Um, we, one of the consultants of that external company, they, um, they had the, the nice slogan. He said, you can do whatever you want. As long as you do a retro, you're already doing the most important piece. Because if you do a retro after every sprint and you discuss actually what did go well, what did not so go well, how can we improve, you get into obviously continuous improvement cycle. And with that, you, you make already, you already automatically actually um, sufficiently uh, improve your, your progress. And what were part of the, like, can, how does this toolbox look like? Like what were components of that toolbox that people could, let's say, choose from? Yeah, uh, for example, in the logistics team, yeah, they uh, they had um, a lot of uh, daily task work. So they use Scrumban basically. Yeah? They didn't use the classical Scrum team, but they have tasks they need to get done plus projects in parallel. And there's, for example, then a template how you could organize that, how you can adjust it in. You have the descriptions of the different ways, for example, to track progress, right? To do burn up charts, burn down charts on on uh, story pointing, uh, how to report that. So uh, this is this is basically um, a collection of methods, but also hands-on examples how to do this and apply it in your team. Um, and stuff like that is, is in that toolbox. You said that in the beginning, it's a big, big challenge that suddenly, especially managers, they sit there and say, why should I write now? Like, wh what's my role? What was the process and, and how did you convince these people together with the external consultant to, let's say, change their perspective and embrace Agile? Uh, have you ever done with that? That's the question. <laughs> um, I think empowering the team or the, the product owners, empowering the teams to take decisions is a, is a long lasting uh, process. Uh, so, I mean, it's actually, you need to keep that running because the tendency is obviously if something go, doesn't go in the right direction to grab that and try to manage it. Uh, so I think that is an ongoing uh, going thing. What we back then did is obviously also trainings and workshops for our direct, back then my, my colleagues yeah, um, in the leadership team, supported by our CIO back then, uh, my predecessor. So we, we did that. And I think we had a lucky coincidence that actually in certain teams, the counterparts on the business side were also going in that direction. So the pull was not only from, let's say, the own team members that saw, hey, this is a way of working we actually prefer. This is 
not too bad at all. This is actually good. But we also had the business colleagues that actually participated in this. And you can see today that obviously, depending on the nature of work you do, right, there are some, some things where agile, I mean, if you exactly know the date, exactly know the technology, you exactly know what needs to be done because it's a legal change, a text change or whatsoever. I mean, it, yeah, you can still apply components of it, but it, I mean, you can do also a waterfall project uh, very successfully. So, but in areas, for example, like in, in product development, like we discussed earlier, where you do software development, where you have, or in marketing and sales, where you also work um, a lot of with iterations and trying to find the right way how to, to make this work. We had actually great partners on the other side that said, hey, we want to do it this way because we also believe it's the right way to do. And with this, we created also a pull. And when you see the first pilots with success, more and more the acceptance came also this is actually not too bad. Uh, I um, I see that my team is performing. I see that uh, that the results are good. I see that I actually get stuff done. So uh, the buying came then over time. But I think it's also a continuous, uh, continuous thing to really make this mindset continue to grow. Right, absolutely. I think it's important to have these, let's say, early wins that then, let's say, show people, yes, things are moving in the right direction it actually makes sense there's a benefit for me as well and the and for the team and that over time let's say solidifies the understanding that the new methodology is the right one to go now yeah the yeah. one thing is to implement an agile methodology the other is then to run large-scale projects in an, in that manner at hilti you did so for instance uh, with the crm rollout when does that make actually sense to work in an agile manner? And when does it not for large projects? Yeah, that's a very good question. So to give a bit of context, right? So that uh, everybody understands then also the answer. We decided 2019-20 uh, that we want to replace our global CRM system with a new global CRM system uh, with significantly changed uh, scope and also capabilities. Transforming, transforming um, basically from a transactional-oriented sales approach to an opportunity-oriented sales approach. And the technology stack we were on, I mean, it was end of life and we needed to bring the selling heart of the company for more than 17,000 people actually to the new world. And we also, together with the vendor and together with the business teams, as I said, we were lucky in that point in time that we believed that at the end of the day, in order to do this, this should not be, let's take a requirement, write it up, throw it over the fence, get it developed, throw it back, and then hope it works. But we knew from the beginning that if you want to get that uh, done properly, we need to involve, actually. We need, to, we need to iterate. We need to bring out the stuff early and take away also the fear, which very often, actually, is the fear of, of colleagues on, on the business side with IT teams that if you don't exactly specify what you want in all eternity, you don't get it. Right. So better do it now and specify it, right? Um, and make a huge complex thing out of it because you might never see them again because then they are busy with the next project. They are gone, right? They, they, they stop you. Right? They cut the money and then they are out. And with this, with this thing that we said, hey, we do product owners, 
we have scrum teams. We had actually in that uh, large scale, uh, we call it evolution program project. We had up to 10 scrum teams in parallel running with 10 product owners, uh, actually not 10, but uh, also a huge number of, of product owners. And they developed this actually from the ground up together with the partner. I mean, it was really important that actually we looked at the product owners. They were mixed IT business, depending on, on uh, necessary know-how and, and capabilities. There were people from the market organizations in. And with this setup, we said, and this will continue. And that's today, by the way, also our line organization. So we transformed this program project setup into the line organization uh, following the same principles. And we, from beginning to all the market organizations said, look, this is the initial set you get. And then we deliver you as we go learn from your usage from the feedback we continuously deliver new capabilities mm-hmm. everybody said yeah 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> you will be gone afterwards right no we will be there we will continue to deliver yeah but it will take for ages no no we do two week sprint cycles and every two sprints we deploy yeah yeah you will do that sure yeah, yeah. no way in hell uh, nobody believed it at the beginning and then we went live in the first country with that setup and the guys used it and gave feedback. And after two sprints, they had the new functionality because the teams were there. They were running. They were delivering. Right? They continued to basically take that, groom it, backlog, put it in the sprint, deliver it. It was created enormous uh, positive feedback right? and also a huge appreciation, obviously, for the team members. They were used actually that it's rather cumbersome relationship between market reach and, and global IT, and that completely changed. Because we were actually together in it, together in the boat, driving it, developing stuff, also taking stuff out again that didn't work. So I think that that was uh, that showed that even large projects uh, that go over two, three years can work. And um, also beyond the MVP phase, beyond the first rollouts, really create um, substantial value for the company in doing that. And we, we, need to, we need to state that the previous CRM solution we rolled out took us more or less, yeah, probably my, my colleagues will not like that, but more or less 10 years. Yeah. The evolution um, delivery, so time from basically first idea to first MVP life, we talk a time span of one, two, with global rollout uh, finished after three years. So the setup proven to be the right one to do. Uh, it, it was scalable. It was working also with rollout teams afterwards. So uh, very, uh, very positive on, on that end. So you did a gradual rollout. You started with one country, then activated, so to speak, the next and so on and so forth. That was the original plan, yes. <laughs> and then came COVID and then we changed the plan. We said we go Big Bang we, because we had our salespeople sitting at home, couldn't go to the customer for the first time ever in the company history, uh, literally not going out for sales. So we said, hey, we need to speed up. And um, that's what actually where I'm very proud of the team uh, because we managed uh, all together. Um, then uh, clubbing together countries and markets and regions into waves and really bring actually accelerate the whole entire journey uh, into the years uh, um, 2021. Uh, so really massively uh, accelerating that and then going in bigger chunks. Originally, we had it planned nicely uh, one by one. And then we were we were really massively scaling because we also saw it's relatively 
uh, well adopted. Um, people use it. The training concept was good. The change management concept was strong due to the fact that the business teams in the regions were already included very often in the in the development of the solution that also helped obviously. So it's curious what you say because let's say running this IT running this agile project in the hybrid setting is then an additional layer of complexity. So how did you then suddenly do the shift with COVID happening? Hmm. I think we, I mean, first of all, we, we were working as a, as a team that had the opportunity to be together before COVID hit on many occasions, uh, meeting face to face in a dedicated space, in a dedicated project office, basically really forming the team, uh, working as a, as a hybrid, yeah, as a, as a, as a true program team yeah, that was organized in, in scrum teams, but the true program team with a lot of bonding activities also. And then COVID hit and we, we always had, I mean, this is a global team, right? So we always had team members that were already remote and we all, almost any daily also had already previous to COVID uh, digital elements. Yeah. Wasn't always easy. This actually with COVID, everybody was at home. <laughs> so um, everybody had to use the screen. And we didn't lose momentum, not a bit. We, we continued, we got more productive, the team meetings more efficient. Yes, we had a bit in the beginning, a bit of dip because of, of uh, many people are not as fortunate as, as we might be in, in Central Europe with having, or even in Central Europe, not everybody's fortunate to have an own uh, workspace at home that isn't shared with anybody else and can close the door. But overall, this worked remarkably well. I mean, really, I have to say, fantastic uh, performance by the team on, on all ends to make this work. And we, in the middle of this, actually decided we changed the approach. Huh? So we, we got the call. I vividly remember that my boss calling me and asking, hey, uh, can you go live uh, in, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks from now? And I said, well, <laughs> let's take a look. Huh? And we managed. Huh? So uh, even in that situation, we managed. But I strongly believe this only worked because we had already created this bonding, right? This bonding between uh, the team members, seeing face-to-face -face, um, bonding over more than just work we could build on top of that and that helped us to get through it be effective and we were able to deliver that's good now summing it up two questions first one when does agile make sense in large-scale it projects and when does it definitely not so it definitely makes sense when you need iterations to make sure that the desired outcome can be achieved. For example, if you need to adopt basically to new requirements, if the requirements are not that stable, or when you don't really know if it will actually deliver on day one exactly the, the resolution or when you know that you want to do it gradually, right? I think then you, you can apply it, it's super effective. You can learn, you can build, you can continuously deliver obviously, and with this also build actually step-by-step step a suitable solution without having too long of a time before you see something appearing in reality, right? Very often, uh, simply the time between requirement thinking and delivery is way too long. For example, in, in a fast-paced environment like engagement marketing, uh, where platforms change quickly or where approaches need to be validated. 
you cannot afford that you have months until something happens. Uh, so you need to be short, more short cycled. You need to iterate. You need these cross-functional teams to also think it through and say, okay, we want to do this. What would it take so that you you are really collaborating on that um, on a daily basis to make something in a very short uh, in, a, in a very very good rhythm uh, happen yeah and on the other hand i think if you do if you do large uh, migrations for example that uh, one erp to the other one we we do for example as for hana upgrades um, on a bi, bi yearly um, rhythm you can run them as well yeah? the question is is it really necessary uh, do you really get additional value from it? I would still recommend, as I, we always do, there are elements you should do. Yeah? The retro, for example, the clear uh, backlog stuff, the, the dailies, uh, they are components you should run. Do you need to, to apply the full catalog? Probably not. Hmm. And second question, which perfectly, let's say, relates to what you just said uh, with regards to dailies, retros. What are other best practices in running large IT projects in an agile manner? <laughs> best practices for large IT projects. Yeah, very good question. There are a couple of fundamentals for large IT projects that uh, apply irregardless of the method you apply. Uh, I mean, that is that's, uh, clear. But for agile projects in specific, I would recommend to be very transparent on the reporting methods right so how do you ensure that actually the surrounding of that program and we had that in this uh, crm uh, role, global rollout we were a large project but we were also embedded in a company that is um, a global one and that also we had a lot of stakeholders we had a lot of people to keep up to date we had a lot of people that didn't understand uh, story pointing what do you mean with expected delivery date? Why can you not commit exactly to that scope? Why do you give me a range when when I will get it, right? So burn up chart and eh, what? <laughs> so it was really important from the program management perspective to ensure that we translate actually this, where we stand, how the teams are progressing into something that the rest of the organization could consume and give them also the confidence, yes, this is working, we are on track. I think this is really important. If you run a large-scale agile program embedded in a, in a larger corporation, you need to take care of the stakeholder management even more focused than you might do that in, in any other project, which anyhow recommended, but you need to really focus on this translation piece. Huh? Because, I mean, people still want status updates. They still want to know, okay, this is the date. This is the date when I get it. What will I get? And I think that's something where you need to do this translation activity and you need to be good at it. Otherwise, people will lose the trust and then they will start trying to manage it. And then you quickly get into a spiral where people say, yeah, you said it's agile, but it's actually not. Hmm. And you do that via including people into the retrospective or how do you foster the transparency? Yeah, we, we did multiple things uh, back then, and I can only recommend that we, we applied the, um, the demo day, right? So we, we had the product owners show off their products, what they delivered, how they look like, uh, give an outlook on what is actually there. We invited key stakeholders to join it very openly, right? If you want to join, please join, have a look uh, how this looks like. Uh, some took it, 
Yeah? And were surprised to actually see after two, three sprints, actually already workable stuff yeah? they would have never imagined. That is definitely one method you can apply, which is which is not without risk, right? You might also have then um, uh, people joining that then give in these meetings input they shouldn't give <laughs> uh, to to basically discourage the product owner unnecessarily. Um, so you need to coach them also to say, hey, you can come, you can watch, but please be careful what you do, right? And we did that as well. And I have to say it was a overall very good uh, exercise. It really helped. And the other one is um, having actually project managers um, still in large scale products or so, uh, projects. You don't have only the product owners, but you really have also project and program manager who keeps these components together and ensures that actually on the on the boundaries, on the on the interfaces, this translation work happens, right? So there is a status report. Um, you go into the necessary corporate meetings. You present the stuff there. You have a proper change story around it. You you keep you you bring um, you bring the the most important information in a timely manner, in a very transparent way out. Uh, and you also to a big extent, at least my colleague and I, I think uh, part of our job was also to protect the team actually for too much interference uh, to encourage them to go forth with with what they're supposed to do and not to slap back so to speak or snap back to the old ways of doing things yeah also making sure that actually it's understood right if you if you run a sprint in the middle of the sprint you don't change what you work on yeah? i mean that's <laughs> basic stuff yeah? so i mean there's you you have a chance next time to reprioritize your stories uh, but please don't, right? If you if you have that in, normally you shouldn't touch that. But you should let the team work productively on the things that they do, and they estimated them. They believe that they can do them. I think that this that was one thing where we also needed to protect the teams, obviously, from too many, much interference, and sometimes also ensure that the product owners. And I think that was a huge learning for many people in the organization that this is not an easy job. Uh, you need to really understand what you're doing. You have a responsibility towards your team to have actually sprintable stories. And I think that is also something uh, that even up to the, the highest uh, uh, ranks in the company. And I remember meeting with, with executive board members in long hours uh, in the evening where we discussed actually content of stories, right? In order to form uh, really how the company wants to do opportunity oriented sales approach. And I think that was, was actually really necessary to create the buy-in, to also create the understanding, and then also give the teams direction saying, this is where we want to go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Johannes. It's been a pleasure having you. And I wish you continued success uh, on your journey and hope to see you soon. Thank you, Kilian, for the invitation and the opportunity to talk to you.